You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. I, uh, I set two alarms this morning thinking I do not want to call at like 9.30 going, Evan, where are you? Um, and then after, after setting two alarms, I actually woke up uh, an hour before my alarm was supposed to go off. So, so it was perfect. I feel wide awake. Okay, does anybody have a friend that they know is like sleeping in and, and was supposed to be here? You can text them and make fun of them. Um, Justin Mandel has already texted me this morning, thank you, saying, this place is empty, they must have heard that you were speaking. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, um, I, I'm super excited about this morning. It's one of those, it's one of those uh, I guess, messages that you don't, I don't know if you guys are going to relate to it. I don't know if I have too much information. Uh, I just know that the last night I was really having um, a, a good time finishing putting this together. So um, if if it's not for you guys, it's for me, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> so um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we praise you for this day. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for our friends and our community, God. God, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. God, we thank you for Easter, the resurrection, where we can celebrate our freedom in you. So God, help us to learn just a little bit more about that. And in so doing, help us to learn more about you so that we can grow closer to you, God. We open up our hearts. We open up our minds. God, let this not just be one more day. Let it not just be another week at Sunday school where we woke up an hour earlier, where we ate some snacks, God, and then went on about our day. God, let us grow closer to you. Let us burn with passion for your name. Love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I, have a, I have a black lab at home, and, and when it's cold outside, we have, we have a space heater in our garage, and the doggy door is, is in our garage so, so that she can go from the garage to the backyard and her food and water is out there. But when it's, when it's cold like this, uh, we let her in through our garage door, and then we put a baby gate up um, so, that she has, so that she has just a little, a little area where she can kind of be and kind of call her own, basically. But the floor right there is a wooden floor, um, and I have a Richmond home, which means there's, there's cracks and leaks and, and air streaming through there. Um, and so, so what... What my wife and I have begun to notice is that is that see Sydney is the name of my dog. She chews up every mat or pillow that we give her. So it's just it's just ridiculous. You're like want to be nice to this dog, and then in the garage you'll just find pillow just everywhere, and you're just like come on like come on. <laughs> um, and so so we end up her mat is filthy dirty, and so that's out in the garage. So when she comes into the house, she doesn't have a mat to lay on. I know it's terrible. Um, but but when it when it's cold, obviously the wooden floor is is pretty cold too, and and so the baby gate's there. But you guys know how a baby gate works. You kind of pin it between two walls, and it's and it's sturdy, and a kid could kind of run into it and wouldn't go anywhere. Well, you can either set it up that way, or you can just kind of set it up the lazy way, which is kind of just like lean it up against the wall. Um, 
And so, and so that's typically what we do because, because there's, anyway, we kind of cross that path all the time. So it's just easier that way, especially with kids that need to go in and out of that area. And I woke up this morning and the, the baby gate was leaning way over like this. So one side of it was about the space of the width of my dog. And, but, but there's my dog laying where she's supposed to be laying. And I get over there and I looked at her and I was like, she looked at me like, no. And it was obvious that she had spent the night on our carpet in our living room. And I just thought to myself, dog, come on. Because they shed. That's kind of, it's kind of the main deal of why we do that. Labs just, it's like you'd be vacuuming every hour of every day. And so when you have toddlers running around, everything gets dog hair on it. So it's that. Anyways, I thought to myself, I was like, so, so Sydney spent the night on my living room carpet or on my couch, I have no idea where, um, and then heard me coming down the steps or getting ready or whatever, and she went back to where she was supposed to be. Well, that's, that's a smart dog. The, the hard thing about it is she doesn't have a thumb <laughs> to which closed the baby gate behind herself, you know? And, and I, I was thinking about that this morning, and I thought, I thought how, fu- how funny is that, that that I am so much like my dog, that, that as humans, we have done certain things that are totally against the rules, that are totally against the law which God has set up for us to live by, but then we, we kind of want to dress up on Sundays and say, okay, I'm, I'm totally fine, but there's kind of the, the fact that we can't cover over our own sin or our own mistakes. It's obvious to God to Sydney, the best place that she could be is back over there when I got downstairs. It was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Didn't do anything. But I'm like, no, I'm so much smarter than you, dog. <laughs> I know where you were, and I'm going to set up the baby gate tight next time so that you can't just pass through it. And, and that was kind of after studying through uh, what I wanted to talk about tonight. And I thought, how, how funny is that? Um, because I want to talk about the Passover. The, the Passover has become a Jewish celebration that is a remembrance of the celebration of our freedom. It's a freedom that we can't purchase on our own. It's a freedom that only God did at that, at that moment for the Jewish people and then later on for all of us. And so this is kind of going to be teachy instead of preachy, but, um, but I was really, really appreciating kind of what what you can pull out of all these references. So uh, let's turn to Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with the nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats." Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. 
when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses they were, where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the, the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. There's, there's so much to pull out of that, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into talking about how Jewish people actually celebrate what's called uh, the Passover Seder, which is the meal that, which is the meal that they prepare and then, and then celebrate as families. But let's talk about that for a little bit. Basically, right then, here's the, here's the Jewish people who have been slaves to Egypt for 430 years. So generations and generations have lived in Egypt and, and become slaves of Pharaoh. And God calls Moses out of the wilderness and says, I'm going I'm to have you lead my people basically out of Egypt and into a land that I have promised to give them. Well, Moses goes and he presents to Pharaoh all these different signs. Remember that? And Pharaoh's people are like, no big deal. We can do that too. And it's turning water into blood and, and these frogs and all the locusts, all this stuff, all these plagues, right? Well, right before this last plague, it says that Moses left the presence of Pharaoh toasted. He was just like hot. He was so mad at Pharaoh and he, he comes back and then he tells, he tells the people what the Lord says. And the Lord says, look, this today, right now, this will be the first month for you. Forget the Egyptian calendar. Forget what you've done in the past. This, I'm starting a new thing. And so we come, we come on Easter Sunday to church, and it's just another holiday. It's just kind of springtime. It's kind of like dress up. Last year, my family took a, we took a family picture. You know, it's kind of this like holiday. And for, and for the Israelites, God was like, no, it's so much more than just a, hol- a holiday. You are going to commemorate this and remember what I've done from generations to generations, you're going to remember this. But what I want you to do is I want you to start brand new. This is like January 1st. This is like the, the biggest New Year's resolution ever. You're not just going to lose weight. You're actually going to kind of scratch your whole old calendar and start over. Okay. You're also going to share the lamb. You're going to, you're going to take a lamb, a firstborn, a perfect lamb or goat and you're going to roast it but if this lamb is too big for you then i want you to go to your nearest neighbor can you can you follow me along uh, follow me with this it's because we already know what's taking place the israelites okay okay let's so let's eat a lamb and let's eat this like saltine cracker type stuff like and they're kind of figuring this out for the first time Obviously, we know what all of this represents, and so I'm not trying to tell you guys anything new. I'm just trying to say, hey, let's think about this. 
let's take this lamb, and, and if you have too much lamb, what are you supposed to do? Share it with your neighbor. That's community. That's what Mill Small Groups is. That's what Mill Missions is. That's what Sunday School is. It's us saying, what I have figured out for myself about this Jesus that we call our Messiah and our Savior, I have so much inside of me that I can't help but sit down and share it with you. That's why we want all of you guys to to be a part of a small group or to be a small group leader and so that you guys have opportunity to share because it's not it's not about having a degree or having an occupation where you say, hey, it's my duty to share about Christ. No, it's, to, it's totally it's everybody's responsibility because we take this, we take this lamb and we say, my God, I, I can't help but share this. This is too much for me. And so imagine that first night, they don't really have any idea, but then imagine if you were growing up, I was supposed to ask this question, is anybody in here a Messianic Jew, by the way? Awesome. Okay, correct me if I ever make a mistake. Um, but imagine this. Imagine this, that later on, you're taking this meal and you're sharing it with your neighbor. This, this brings in a whole other sense of community where we live in these houses that are, that are closer than houses have ever been built to each other in the history of mankind, and we don't even know our neighbors. But we have these things going in into us through teaching and through personal study and through small groups. And, and it says, look, if you have too much, you have to get together with your neighbor and share. Wow. But then it, it says you're supposed to take this lamb on the 10th day, but you're not supposed to slaughter it until the 14th day. So I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm thinking about this process, and I'm thinking about my three-year-old. If, if I were to kind of bring a lamb in and... And now they now in in Jerusalem and, and what they what they used to do is that they would parade actually their lambs in on Palm Sunday. I think Joe made um, a reference to that, and so they parade these lambs in and and you can tell the excitement of children in this like you know did you ever take part of a Fourth of July parade where you like decorated your bike and drove it through your neighborhood? I totally did that. Um, some people, you know, the younger kids are being pulled in wagons and the older kids are, like, racing uh, through the parade. I did that. Um, so, but you can imagine kind of the fanfare in the festival and, and a, a younger kid saying, this is my lamb. And for four days, it feeds the lamb. It waters the lamb. It takes care of it. Maybe it, like, brushes the lamb. I don't know what they did. But you can tell that for four days especially a child, uh, I would probably even grow fond of this cute little lamb. And then on the fourth day, you slaughter it. The, the Kind of the analogy to me in that is, is God, wants, God doesn't want you to just pluck some lamb or buy a lamb or go to the market and say, hey, uh, yeah, that one, I'll, I'll take that. And, and could you kill it for me, by the way? No. You take ownership of it for four days. You have this attachment to it so that the sacrifice actually means something. Isn't that awesome? It's terrible, but it's awesome. And so you take, it, you take care of this lamb for four days, and then when you slaughter it and eat it, you realize that something is actually taking your place and making sacrifice for you. Sometimes I think we, we kind of process Jesus one week at a time. Or we compartmentalize him, and so and so we say, 
thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and forgiving my sins. Please forgive me for what I just did or what I just said or something like that. And it's so easy to recite this. But if we were really to spend four days with Jesus, doesn't that make that sacrifice just that much more powerful? So the Passover and the process of the Passover is all set up for our understanding now as modern Western Christians to kind of, to kind of make sense for us. They, they also, on the Passover, they ate it in haste. I, out, of that, out of those verses I just read, it said, it said, tuck your tunic into your belt, which means you're eating ready to go. It's like, it's faster than the drive-thru. It's like, hey, if we need to get out of here, then, then we're gone, because they knew what was about to happen, because they had, already, they had already dripped the blood on their doorposts, and they knew that in a matter of a few hours, God was going to take the firstborn of all of the heathen of that land, and, and in so doing, the great cry of people awaking. And so here they are going, this is my last meal here. I don't like this place, but this is still home to me. See, because if Easter represents one thing, I think Easter represents movement. That we sit here and we go, we go to church on Easter, and it's like, oh, this is great, and there's a great like, production maybe or something like that, and then we go home and, and do an Easter egg hunt or eat a good family meal and, and interact with family or friends or something like that. And really, the Passover, and we'll get to this in a little bit, the Passover was one of the pilgrimage holidays where everybody would come to Jerusalem. Well, they had, a, they had kind of a long journey home to think about all of those sacrifices that just took place. And so, so Easter represents movement because it was the Passover that took place right before, right before that. We as Christians obviously celebrate Easter as, as Jewish people they're not obviously celebrating that, but for the Passover, it was movement. It was a time when they ate with their tunics tucked into their belt and said, all right, we're out of here. And then they dispersed. But Jewish people now celebrate the Passover and, and eat the Seder meal reclining. Why? Because, because slaves would have to eat either standing up or sitting straight. But those who were wealthy, those who owned slaves, those who basically had arrived, they reclined. So here's the picture where we know that John was reclining back on, on the chest of Jesus, right? And I've always thought, wait, isn't that kind of a hard way to eat? No, it's, it's such a privilege to eat that way that they all, they all reclined because they said, you know what? This is a celebration that we once were slaves, but now we're free. Isn't that incredible? Based on what God's done in your life, what's God, what God's done in my life, that it, that at one point we're celebrating we're celebrating this Passover. My, I, I made the decision last night. I was like, my family and I are gonna are gonna eat the seder meal. We're gonna we're gonna go through this, and I'll talk to you about it. But but it's because it's because it's a celebration that we were once held captive. We once ate standing up or sitting straight up while our cap our captors sat in their houses and they reclined and they ate at their own pace. We had to eat fast. Why? 
Test, test. Okay. Good. Sorry about that. Um, let me see here. You want? You might have to help me. Okay. Um, so it, when you study this, it just t- it just takes you back to kind of all the verses that we know in the Bible already, and we kind of we kind of just pass over them. Why? Because we're not Jewish. Because we don't have that frame of reference. We just we just grow we just grew up and knew exactly kind of what our Sunday school teachers taught us and and these Bible verses. So so they ate it in haste, but they celebrate it now by reclining. The blood will be a sign for you. Verses 35 and 36 of Exodus 12 said, and so they plundered the Egyptians. See, see what I think about what I think about this is that a lot of people wait around for the favor of God when they still they still act and they still live captive to their own sin. I think I think the favor of God comes with freedom. It comes right after freedom. Once you get once you get it and you say, "Look, I'm not going to live my life to the prince of this world. I'm not going to I'm not going to live it for his glory. I'm not going to live it for my glory. I'm going to live it for the glory of of Jesus Christ who who lived and died to save me." And once you once you walk into that freedom, all of a sudden I think I think that that's when the favor of the Lord comes. So you say, why, why is it that my life is frustration after frustration after frustration, but you know in the back of your mind that you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing? But it wasn't until, it wasn't until the Israelites were set free that all of a sudden Moses and God told them, I want you to ask your Egyptian neighbors, I want you to ask the people that you're passing by who are wailing about their firstborn dying. I want you to ask them for, your, for their silver and their gold. And you know what? They gave it to them. So much so that it says they plundered Egypt and they took all of that with them into the desert. 600,000 men plus women and children. Imagine that. Imagine, imagine that massive group of people walking out. You would have a picture in your mind if you were Jewish. Every year you would celebrate this and you would think of the masses of people just walking away that would be more than the whole city of colorado springs just flipping it up i-25 past denver denver's like dude where are you guys going and and we're like hey uh we don't exactly know but can we have your silver and gold sure (laughs) you know six hundred thousand men so you're talking over a million people easy just walking away this is a major celebration for the Jewish community. What they do, what they do is they celebrate, they celebrate the Passover Seder. There's 15 stages of this meal. Okay, now, now this is we we call it basically the Last Supper, um, is is how we is how we remember Jesus celebrating this. But um, and we we get kind of glimpses into it. Obviously, he breaks the bread. Obviously, he passes the cup around. Obviously, Judas dips dips the bread uh, into into the uh, into the dip. And so, but I'm just going to kind of go through this real quick and tell you the 15 stages of of this dinner that takes place that that Christ actually participated in. And the disciples are going, "Yeah, we've done this ever since I was a little kid. 
this is fun time, it's a holiday, we didn't have to work today, but it's so much more than that. And so I think all of a sudden when Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. We get that. The disciples are like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're messing with something that I've believed for, for so long. And so I'm going to touch on some of those things where, where the disciples really got it. The first part of it is the recital of the Kadesh, which is blessing and drinking of the first cup of wine. There's four cups of wine that are taken in this meal. And so you start off with, with basically a blessing, which is, which is just a, it's, there's a lot of people kind of, a lot of people groups do this. They bless, they bless grape juice or they bless wine. Um, and some, some, even in Africa, they'll, they'll like take, if they have, if they have a special drink, they'll pour the first sip out into the ground. It's kind of like we're offering this back to Mother Earth or, or whatever it is. And so in Jewish custom, they just recite this blessing. And it's just a blessing um, that you recite over the first cup of wine. And then the second part is you wash hands. The third thing is dipping of the carpus in salt water or vinegar. Now, what this is, is you take a vegetable and you dip this in salt water or vinegar. It's supposed to represent, we, we are now remembering the tears of the slaves in Egypt. Imagine this. There's a whole nation of people in Israel that are still doing this. There's people all around the world that do this every single year. And they take a vegetable, kind of like a celery, potentially, um, that, would, that would soak up some of that. So this is not like the greatest meal to look forward to, especially if you're a kid. But you, you dip this in there, and then you taste it because, because the salt water is supposed to represent then the tears of Israel. Have you, have you ever... Have you ever thought of why when Jesus was on the cross that, that, they, that somebody took basically a stick with a sponge of vinegar and, and gave it to him? And, and I, this, is, this is all opinion, and this is maybe, maybe far-stretched, but during this, you, you either dip the celery in salt water or vinegar, and it's to remember the, the slaves in Egypt. And so here's Jesus dying on the cross, and they reach and they reach a sponge of vinegar up to him. There's a little bit that I could see there that's just like, wow, that's so powerful. That in the Jewish world we have we have kind of no concept of that, but it's to, it's to represent the tears. But but with the vegetable being dipped in there, it's supposed to represent. Look, when does when do vegetables spring forth in the spring? It means new birth. It means something new. We've we've come out of this winter of slavery. And we're, and we're bursting forth brand new. And so there's, in this bitterness, there's promise. So in this bitterness of Jesus dying on the cross, and, and here's this vinegar in, written into this story for some odd frame of reference that I've always kind of been like, why in the world would you want to taste vinegar at that moment? Maybe. Maybe. So in death, there's, there's the representation of spring. The fourth part is the breaking, the middle matzo. The larger piece becomes the afikoman, which is eaten later during the ritual of tzvum. However you say that. So the matzo is the bread. It's the unleavened bread. And at this point, you break the bread. So at this point, was it at this point that Jesus said, here you go. 
This is my body. And so up to that point, you're kind of doing something that you've done every year since you were a little kid. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, this, this is my body. And you're like, wait a minute. I, I don't get it. You know, the disciples, it says later that, it, that their minds were unlocked so that they could understand the scriptures. So I wonder if, if it's just like you have a host each year and usually it's your dad or your grandfather or whoever it is. Maybe your, maybe your neighbor if he's the oldest. And now it's just Jesus because he's kind of your leader. And he's like, all right, well, uh, I guess that's how he's talking. I don't exactly get it. Wow. Take eat. Number five is retelling the Passover story, including the recital of the four questions and drinking of the second cup of wine. So at this point, some of you guys have, uh, I think every table has the four questions asked by the youngest member of the family and then the answers read in unison by all the others. Um, so at this point, the youngest child present will, will ask these four questions. So this is, this is a piece of paper that is practically memorized by people because you just do it so often. Some of you guys have, have traditions that, that you take part in for Christmas or for Easter or whatever it is. Well, imagine if, if a whole nation kind of had the same tradition. So the youngest person, this is, this is kind of a song. It's written, it's written um, and I think they're supposed to sing it, basically. And then people, people are everybody else in the room after they after they kind of sing or recite this is supposed to read read the following in unison so so the youngest kid who can basically read or understand says this why is this night different from all other nights from all other nights on all other nights we may eat chemets and matzah chemets and matzah on this night on this night only matzah on all other nights we eat many vegetables many vegetables on this night, on this night, meror. On all, on all other nights, we do not dip even once. On this night, on this night, twice. On all other nights, we eat either sitting or reclining. Either sitting or reclining. On this night, on this night, we all recline. And so you can just see the innocence of this, and it's the, it's the verbal communication, it's the storytelling of history. And then everybody else answers this way. This night is different from all other nights because we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. Because we were bought, brought forth from there by God with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Because we are thankful and because it is our duty to keep the commitment to freedom ever present in our memories and in our lives. So that we will always remember and never forget. We eat matzo only on this night to remember that in our haste to escape from Egypt, we could not wait for the bread to rise and so removed it from the ovens while it was still flat. We eat meror on this night so that the bitter taste of these herbs will remind us of the bitterness of slavery. We dip twice on this night, greens in salt water and meror in cherosis, the first to replace tears with joy and gratitude. The second, the second to sweeten the bitterness of suffering and loss. We recline on this night at the time of the exodus. Slaves consumed their meals standing or at best sitting upright. The right to recline at mealtimes was the privilege and a symbol of a free man. Had we not escaped the tyranny of the despot Pharaoh, we and our children might still be enslaved, deprived of freedom and dignity. 
Through these special foods and rituals and by the recounting of the Exodus story, we hope to refresh our understanding and teach the significance of the freedom we so dearly cherish. Wow. So every year they talk about this. One of my favorite, one of my favorite lines in that. Because we are thankful and because it is our duty to keep the commitment to freedom ever present in our memories and in our lives so that we will always remember and never forget. So they do this not as a holiday. They do this to remember from which they came. I think sometimes we celebrate Easter just because it's on the calendar. And it's kind of not really on the calendar. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? Like December 25th, it's always Christmas. Easter, it's like, when's Easter this year? You have no idea because it's part of the Jewish calendar. It's not part of our calendar, and so it goes. It goes by different different uh, seasons. So, so basically, we just come to church when we're told that it's Easter, and we dress up, and we have this great holiday, and it's and it's an excuse to kind of get together. They get together because they commemorate that they have a commitment to freedom. If we took so seriously that we had a commitment to freedom, meaning God, I realize where you have taken all of us from. And therefore, I am going to commit myself to freedom. Why? Because I don't want to dabble back in there. I don't want to kind of wander back into the land of suffering. I don't want to waste years of my life. I want, I want to have this commitment to freedom. So after, after the child asks those questions and everyone responds, there's a second washing of the hands. After that, there's a traditional blessing before eating bread products. Then the eighth part is blessing before eating matzo. The matzo is, it's eating the bread of affliction. It's both a lesson in humility and an act that enhances one's appreciation of freedom. This is sometimes referred to as poor man's bread. So a poor man's way to eat in that context is that you have to eat standing or you have to eat sitting. Sometimes, like the child asked, why sometimes do we sit or recline, but on this night all of us recline? And why, why this night do we have to eat flatbread when other times we can eat flatbread or normal bread? And the adults say, son, let me tell you something. We all recline because it's a privilege that God himself earned for us. It wasn't anything that we could do because if it was up to me or if it was even up to you, son, we would still be in Egypt. And so this night we commemorate our commitment to freedom and we recline because we can. You eat poor man's bread because it's a remembrance to be humble. It, and it's a remembrance that you appreciate your freedom. Number nine is eating the mayor. This represents bitterness. It's, it's typically lettuce dipped in horseradish or have, or have a horseradish type thing over it. it. Again, this is, if you're a kid, this is, I, I can't imagine feeding this to Noah. It's just like he had a hard time just eating chicken and rice last night. So, so you, you end up just kind of feeding him and taking his spoon and, or fork and, and helping him eat. So imagine if I'm feeding him lettuce with horseradish spread on it. It's terrible. But it's, 
it's again it's a remembrance of the bitterness and if you can if if you just put that thought and you compartmentalize yeah i i once was a slave or i once was stuck captive in this or that and you just say you just forget about it i think it's good to every once in a while maybe drive back to the place you grew up or drive through that place where where you were go back to that house that you know you know what and that was that was a time in my life that if god if i could i'd I'd like to have that back but but thank you for releasing me from that you know it's good to kind of pull back into that which which brings you to the point of almost tears and saying god i i know that you've removed my sin from me but but i just want to say i'm sorry again and and i'm never going back that direction that's what the jews are are commemorating when they're eating that lettuce with horseradish. There was such a bitterness. Number 10 is eating a sandwich made of matzo and mayor. So, so again, you're, you're eating that bitterness with, with flatbread. The 11th stage in this is a set table and the serving of the holiday meal. They, they will put their best plates. They, they, will put, they will put what's best in front of them. And then, then they serve. Then they serve the lamb. What's interesting about that? What's interesting about that is, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But, but if you if you do research on the word lamb and the context of it in the Bible, there's so many there's so many things that that it comes to. So that's when you eat the lamb. Number twelve is eating of that afikamo afikoman which is which is the matzo was broken and then the children actually take the biggest piece of that and they go and hide it so way back up at number 4 so this is this is at number 12 number 4 is where the bread is broken and then the elder of the family takes that bread gives it to the children they wrap it in a napkin and then they hide it somewhere somewhere in the house and so during that during that time when they're eating this these bitter herbs and and salt water or vinegar or whatever it is then then that bread is hidden and it's not until that point where they bring the, those kids go and they get it and they bring it back and then they present it now part of this tradition is is to help the kids stay awake <laughs> it's just like okay this is this is a long meal we don't have like 15 steps and when we eat it's just like two or three steps and it's kind of we're done um and and so this is a long process and it's a holiday it's a fe- it's a festivity and so the children take that and hide it you know what i think that represents to me it represents to me that sometimes parts of god remain hidden and it's kind of it's kind of this joy of that's in god that one of my favorite things to do with noah and now with kaylee as she's as she's old enough to kind of understand that is to play hide and seek <laughs> And uh, Emily, Emily, I can't remember if she went to the store. I, I, I was I was left at home with the kids, and uh, Noah was like, "Let's play hide and seek," and so we did. And and Noah Noah likes to hide, but he'll like hide in the same place over and over again. <laughs> and so and so Kaylee and I would like be in this place, and we'd count to ten and say, "Ready or not, here we come." 
And then you kind of have to let him know, like, hey, we're coming. And, and you look in different places, specifically because you know he's not there. <laughs> and so when you pass the point at which he is, like he would hide behind the bathroom door, he'd just start laughing and giggling. <laughs> and I'd be like, Kaylee, do you think he's in the closet? Nope, not here. And he's like, I'm over here. <laughs> and, so, and so you eventually find him. But for me, the hide-and-seek factor, the, I, I like to draw it out a little bit longer than that. I don't want to just, like, walk out of the room where I'm counting and immediately find him. Sometimes he'll, like, run from where he's hiding up to me and just, like, giggle. And I'm like, that, that's not really hide-and-seek. <laughs> and, and so for me, if I can get Noah and Kaylee to, to sit in one spot and, and count the best they can so that I can kind of basically sprint through my house to find a good enough hiding place, I will love to hide from them. I don't know why, but it's uh, like I will find good hiding places in my, in my house to the point where I kind of leave them looking for a long time. Because when I look for him, it's just like 10 seconds, 15 seconds. For them, I would let them look for me for minutes at a time, three minutes, five minutes. And it, as, it gets, as it gets longer and longer and they haven't they haven't found me, I'll start saying, I'm over here. But if, if, say I'm like in the closet, I'll have the closet door shut and open just enough to where I can see them if they come by. And so I'll, I'll hear them and Noah's trying to get Kaylee to follow them. And there's, there's a joy in that for me to kind of stretch this out because there's a pursuit of me in that. And the greater the pursuit, the greater the, the, the anticipation and therefore the greater joy once I've been found. And so this, when the bread is hidden, it tells me, it tells me that, that as God made me and as I became a father and I'm growing and learning to become a, a good father, I know that God is, is putting wisdom into me and, and growing gifts that he's planted in me to be a good dad. And in that, I made in his likeness and therefore... I think God kind of enjoys being hidden. Why? Because he enjoys being found. And he wants us to pursue him. And so in that, those children find that bread and then bring it back. And they eat it. After that, the blessing after the meal and drinking of the third cup of wine. And then there's the 14th part. You're almost at the end. You've eaten your meal. And then a designated person would stand up, and this is the recital of the halal, which is traditionally recited on festivals, and then the drinking of the fourth cup of wine. But you know what the halal is? It's Psalms 113 through 118. Let me run through some of this with you. And and I want to, you know, Glenn even uh, preached about psalms and worship recently. As a Western Christian, there's so many things that are written into this Bible and so many traditions from this religion that have kind of just faded, that, we, that we've left behind as we've joined this faith as Gentiles. And so I'm not going to read to you all of these psalms. It would take a while, but I am going to I am going to skim through and just 
um, recite to you some of this. Psalm 113 starts out with praise the Lord. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Psalm 114, when Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. So here they are celebrating this. They, you, would, you would have basically memorized Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 because you might have been the one reciting it. But if not, you were for sure having it read to you at least once a year, if not three times. Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. So it's a remembrance of we've arrived, we're a nation unto ourself, but God, let us not take any of that glory. May you be the one that receives the glory from that. Psalm 116, I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. Verse 7, be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Celebration of what God has done for us. Verse 12, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. And so at that point, whoever's reciting this has this fourth cup of wine, and they're, and they're saying, look, this, this is the cup of salvation. This is, this is, we're doing this in remembrance of where we once came from. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Psalm 118, in my anguish I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. 14, the Lord is, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Verse 21, I will give thanks, I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. Get this, verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And it finishes, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That, that puts the... That puts that verse into context. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We, we sang that song as little kids. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. But here they are on, on the Passover, the Seder meal, and they're saying, you know what? God made this day. This is, he made a new month. He started our calendar brand new. He created this holiday. This wasn't made by Congress. This wasn't made in the Senate. We didn't come up with President's Day or Memorial Day just so we could have an extra day off. No, God himself made this day. And so we remember that and we pause at this moment and we lift up the cup of our salvation and we say, God, not to us because we couldn't have done this. If it was up to us, we would still be stuck as slaves in Egypt. But you, Lord... You have created this day and you've taken us out of captivity and brought us into freedom. And so we celebrate you. What's, what's interesting about the verse right before that is the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4.
you'll get right now where Peter and John were at in their belief of Jesus Christ. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? What they had just done was they had just healed a cripple. There was, there was a man that, that was outside of the temple gate, and for the life, for his whole life, he was begging because he couldn't work, he couldn't do anything. And so, and so everybody that went to the temple basically knew who this was. Well, Peter and John, this is where... This is where Peter looks at him and he says, silver and gold I have none, but that which, I, that which I have I give to you, stand up. And at that point he was healed. And so the high priests are upset because with that great miracle came this great gathering of this crowd and then Peter and John started preaching to him about Jesus. And so they arrested them, brought them in front of them, and then, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if I were being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. If anybody says that to you, then know this. You, you brace yourself. <laughs> you know, it's like that person is more sure of what he's about to say than just a casual conversation. Then know this, you and all the peoples of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So you read that in Acts chapter 4 and you say, okay, so Jesus is the capstone, stone the builders rejected. Wait a minute. Peter just threw into the face of these, who, these men who knew the law more than anybody else. They th- he threw in what is recited at the Seder meal and two other, two other holidays throughout the year. So this is like, this is like hey, Psalm 23 or John 3.16, this is like, hey, you know this. You've memorized this. You've recited it. You're the ones that stood up in front of your own family and read this. And look, you never got it. But this Jesus, by whom this man was healed in the power of that name, he is that man which you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. He is the capstone. Puts it into a whole other perspective. It's not just another verse in the Bible. It's Peter and John knowing their stuff and throwing it right back at them. I don't know if I was a Jew how I could stay a Jew. I just don't. Like really studying this stuff, I, I've just thought, I've just thought how, how do they not get this really? Obviously they don't read the New Testament. It's, it's not like that's what they're studying. They're studying the Old Testament. And so... You'd have to come into contact, 
con- contact with somebody that really has a debate about that. But if we knew if we knew our stuff, and if any of you guys know Jewish people, embrace them and embrace their holidays and embrace their traditions. But then know what Peter and Paul and John all knew. The the Passover was celebrated as a pilgrimage, like I said, where where the whole Jewish nation would come to to Jerusalem. And so you'd have this basically a seven day festival where where you'd you'd have a holiday on the first day and a holiday on the seventh day. And so you could work in between, but on those two days you weren't supposed to work. What's great about that is that it really was a long walk home. It wasn't like they caught the tram. It wasn't like they took the the next flight out. They had quite a long ways to go for some of them. That's a long time to kind of contemplate sacrifice. For us, we get in the car, go to church, drive home. By that afternoon, we could easily forget what was said. We could easily forget what was celebrated. We could kind of put it into the chapter of our lives of been there, done that, seen the thorn. Kind of looking forward to this year where it's kind of the rock, I guess. You know? And so and so at that point at that point we don't have a journey to take, but the greatness of the celebration is processed in that journey. Don't you think that if I'm walking home and I'm trying to keep track of a three year old and a one and a half year old, that I'm distracting them by telling them what just took place and by asking him questions about, do you know, do you know what that represents? Do you know why we just ate celery dipped in salt water? So it's, it's oral history passed down. Why? Because there's, a, a, there's enough time to process. I was thinking about that, and I thought, I want to encourage you guys to, to process Easter this year. Because there are, there are two holidays here, and, and it's easy to kind of blur those, but there is, it, is, it is the Passover and then Easter. And I think, I think it's right to kind, of, to kind of process that. Ours is kind of Good Friday. But in that time, I don't want you guys to just show up to a service. If, if, you, think, if you think, boy, if I go to the mill on Good Friday, it's just going to be in everything I've always done on Good Friday, then don't come to the mill. Because it's not about a religious service. It's not about you being amongst your friends. It's about you really getting this. See, I think when we don't have a whole lot of time to process, when we just, when we just live in a world where we can jump in our car and get back to our house and, and turn on the TV and act like nothing ever happened, you guys know, you guys have parents, I'm sure, that kind of live this life. And it's so easy to fall into that category. See, Adam and Eve realized their sin, and they thought, hey, okay, I guess what we've got to do is sew some fig leaves together. Why not fig leaves? Because God wanted the cover of sin to cost more than that. And so sometimes we cover over our sin with that which is so easily attainable for us. We either forget about it, or we ask for forgiveness and we move on, and God's like, no, 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 there has to be a sacrifice. Genesis 3.21, it, it says that God made, God, God clothed them with skin. 
it doesn't say anything about what happened there, but from, from my personal opinion, I would say this. I would say that there was a sacrifice there. It's pretty obvious. I would guess that that sacrifice was either a lamb or a cow. If you guys know anything about leather work, and especially how they used to do it with primitive tools, to create clothing out of the skin of an animal takes a lot of time. If you read through that passage, there's places where God is speaking to them and he's saying, who told you that you were naked? What have you done? And I can just imagine God, as he walked with Adam, appearing in the garden again, pulling Adam, pulling Adam and Eve aside and watching death for the very first time. That would rock your world. And you say, wait, God, I'm, t- I'm totally fine. I kind of made these sweet fig leaf skirt outfit. God's like, no, it's not going to last. It's not what I want. You're going to have to be covered by the sacrifice of another. And so it foreshadows what's coming. And so you can just imagine God, it, really, really, go try to find like a History Channel thing or, or Google or Wikipedia the, the process of, of leather making. Because, because I can just see God just scraping the fur off of this leather and stretching it and, and, and curing it. And in so doing, he's, he's knowing what now has to happen. And he has a conversation with himself. He says, now they've become like one of us. So this, Genesis 3.21, is a glimpse into something that I think took a lot longer than one verse. Why not fig leaves? Because our sin has to be covered by the sacrifice of another. Genesis 22, verse 7, says this. Let Let me read this to you. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. You guys remember that story. God told Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac on the Mount of Moriah, which is is now the Temple Mount. It It is in Jerusalem. And but back then there was there was nobody living there, and so they're they're hiking up this hill, and Isaac's like, uh, "Wait a minute, I don't know I don't know exactly how old he was at that point, but he's obviously old enough to realize, look, we don't have we don't have a sacrifice." Abraham says, "God Himself will provide the lamb." What happened right after that? It was a ram that God provided, right? So I think this is more of a foreshadowing verse of God saying, look, I myself will provide the lamb. Right now, there's going to be a ram. And so here, we're waiting for that promise. And so here, the Jews are hanging on the promise of Abraham telling his son, God will provide the lamb. We got to John the Baptist, and you guys remember, you guys remember when he said, behold the lamb. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you're a Jew, you have all of this building up. You've eaten a lamb at the Passover every year of your life. You've read all of this. 
Psalm 113 through 118, you understand this part. And then John the Baptist says, behold, behold the Lamb. See how it all ties in? Now, this is all a celebration of, of freedom, release of captivity. I know this is, kind of, this is kind of deep, this is kind of boring, this is kind of this and that. Take this, take this one part. Do you remember, here's John the Baptist. He baptizes Jesus. He's related to Jesus. And then at a certain point, as Jesus' ministry is growing, and John the Baptist says, he must become greater, that I must become less, John says something about Herod and gets thrown into prison. Here he is, he's sitting in prison. And you guys remember the story when John sends his disciples over to Jesus and, and basically with the question, are you the one who was promised or should we be looking for another? And Jesus' response is, go back and tell John that which you've seen, which is the healing, the healing of, of cripples. The, the deaf can now hear, the blind can now see. Go and report all these things. And I've often, I've often kind of wondered, okay, John's kind of maybe going through doubt here. The problem was, was that he was stuck in prison. So the question is, hey, are you, are, are you the one that was promised, or should we wait for another? I think the real question was, hey, man, I'm your cousin. I'm stuck in prison. If you're the savior of the world, can't you just save your cousin, maybe, perchance? But this is, this is happening right when Jesus sends out the 12. So here he has this massive team of people, really, that are following him around, and then he disperses them. And John's kind of like, wait a minute, I was kind of waiting for the 13 of you guys to kind of bust in here, get me out of here. See, I think sometimes when we go through hardships in life, we're like, God, where are you? I understand this. You came to set me free, and, and I get this, and I've, I've given myself over to to the kingdom of Christ and and I'm living I'm living as good and godly as I possibly can but why are why are bad things still happening to me? John the Baptist is like, "Come on man, bust me out of here." And Jesus says, "Just go tell him what's happening. Good things are happening over here." So I think sometimes we have to say, "Hey, look. Bad things may still happen, but in the midst of that, I'm still going to believe." He left that up for John the Baptist to say, look, are you going to believe even when you're going through a hard time? 